Okay. Okay, well, we continue our study in the book of James, or the letter of James. Um, what's interesting or unique or different about the letter of James? Is there anything? There's, there's a couple curious items in here. Who's his readership? Who's he writing this to? Jewish believers uh, that are somewhat dispersed, you know, and he writes to them. He even says in verse, chapter 1, verse 1, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Peter does a similar thing. And we have to remember that the early church, I mean, real early church, was Jewish. You know, even in the book of Acts, all the way through to Acts chapter 15, they are headquartered in Jerusalem. That's where they have the famous Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 to see what's required of Gentile believers that come to faith. And so it's what, what several things that's interesting. A, the early church is Jewish initially. Uh, two, uh, it's headquartered at the very spot uh, or the city where Jesus died and rose again. In other words, these guys didn't say, well, let's go back up to Galilee or we'll go up here to Antioch. They put it right there uh, to show, I mean, it's pretty bold, but they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead and they were willing to establish their headquarters center of uh, the church, the early church right there in Jerusalem. Later it'll go, of course, out to Antioch and uh, Ephesus, Rome, and all these different places. But it's initially, and so he's writing to predominantly Jewish believers. That's why he makes so many references to the Old Testament. We'll see that this morning in chapter 2. He'll refer to Abraham, he'll refer to Rahab, he'll refer to these different ones. Um, the other thing is James is, um, he, he can be very sharp, you know, he, he's straight, he's like, you know, but he's always saying, my beloved brethren, so he's got like this pastoral heart, but he says sharp things in correction, and, and he's not afraid to do that. Um, he's, he knows how to speak the truth in love. Does that make sense? He speaks, sometimes if we just speak the truth, that can be hard, you know, that can be a little, so, but if we just speak love and no truth, what good does that do? You know, it's, it's almost like what we call hallmark theology. Everything's good. You know, so even in, in theology, you have to counterbalance the love of God with the holiness of God, uh, the compassion and mercy of God with the righteousness of God. And to get those, if you go to one extreme or another, it, it gets kind of unbalanced in terms of our presentation. Any thoughts on any of this? It's just kind of by way of getting back into the book of James. Okay, in chapter 2, this is where he's going to make, and, and there's a lot of, uh, discussion and confusion people have, it shouldn't be, between faith and works. This is the famous chapter where, um, it, it, we'll get into that this morning, but we got down to roughly about verse uh, 14 uh, before we left. And before, uh, remember next week there's no class. It's Easter Sunday, so there's no Sunday school class. He says, verse 14, what is it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, uh, but you do not give them the things which are needed to the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself does not have works, is dead. So here's where sometimes people will say, Well, it's, I mean, what was it? Last year we celebrated the, the Reformation, right? Was that two years ago? But one of the things is what? Sola, sola Scriptura, but what's the other one? Sola Fide, gracia, grace, but faith, you know, by faith alone, so to speak, we are justified before God. 
And now is James introducing something else here? And we're going to see it's not. It's compatible. The faith in works is, is very compatible. Um, why this is problematic if somebody gets a wrong interpretation, as Pastor Mark said this morning, most religions are about work. How can I do something to make myself uh, more pleasing in God's sight? How can I do something, uh, so to speak, to work my way to heaven? Uh, we work with Muslims, and their concept of, of uh, salvation at judgment time is a scale. You know, good deeds, bad deeds, did I give enough alms, did I keep Ramadan, did I make the Hajj? Will that outweigh my evil deeds? It's kind of built as the same way in the Buddhist uh, culture in Southeast Asia, they have a lot about making merit. You know, do I give to the monks? Do I give to the poor? Do I do, you know, if, do, can I make enough merit that it's going to offset my bad karma so I don't have to keep coming back? Not so with Christian faith. We're going to see in a moment. It's about faith that is expressed through works. We're going to see that. It's almost like the body and soul are one. We can't see the soul, but we can see our body, which is in a sense a manifestation, uh, an outward manifestation of our inward life. And we're going to see that these two go hand in, in hand uh, together. Uh, so let's look at this just for a moment. Uh, faith that works. Uh, somebody as well said that, that that's we're not saved by faith plus work, but faith that works. And James is getting at people, perhaps back at his time as well as our time, that as he says here in chapter 1, do not be, um, uh, verse 22, chapter 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, he's saying self-deception is the worst kind of deception because you somehow convince yourself to believe a lie. But he's saying, if, if you're not doers of the word, you're deceiving yourself. You're, 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 my sense of it at this time, he had people who were professing to be Christians, but their lifestyle and everything was denying them. Any comment on this? It's kind of just setting this up. And it has tremendous application for our lives today. I believe our culture, our lives, and Christendom in, in general. So... Let's look a little bit at this. Now, when it comes to salvation, uh, for example, the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, this is after the great miracle, the doors fell off, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas responded, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There's, there's, we're going to see this belief is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. He doesn't say, Believe and then give to the poor. Believe and then... Those things will come, we're going to see, but that's not the initial entry point uh, for, for, to become a believer. Again, uh, John, uh, there, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? See, it's just like the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, what must I do? What must I do? What activities can I do to be right with God? They look at what, that we may work the works, plural, of God. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work, singular, of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. You see, that, that's, the, that's the capital work. That's the primary uh, focus. Uh, what is it? Believe. In a sense, again, like Pastor Mark said today, we don't, in a sense, do anything. All the heavy lifting has been done, literally, for us. We simply believe and receive that. And then we are going to be people of, of works. 
We're, we're going to see that too. We're going to be people actually zealous for good works. We'll see that one second. Again, Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What I'm getting at, we could keep going, and I could show you that to be a believer, <laughs> by definition, to be a Christian requires that first step of belief. And just like, again, as the sermon closed today, if there was anybody out in that congregation that heard Mark, no matter how far they are away from the Lord, how deep in sin, if they're willing to come, turn their back on sin, and by faith receive Christ, John chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the privilege or the power to become a child of God. That's, that's, there's simply no work we can do, do you understand, to, to access that gift. And of course, uh, Jesus again, truly, truly, I mean, he's emphasizing, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment and has passed the life. So what's the mechanism? It's that belief. You hear the word of God, you believe the word of God. And of course, the famous John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see? So we're going to see. So there should be no confusion that, yeah, belief is important, but then we also need works are important to be in right standing with God. You see? But works, are, we're going to see in a second, yeah, are very important. Yes, John? The example we have is the people on the cross. Yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, that's right. A striking example, because he couldn't do even one good work. You know, his hands were nailed. <laughs> you know, but he believed. He believed a lot, actually. He, he called Jesus Lord. He saw he was righteous. He knew he could save him. He knew there was an afterlife, and he knew there was a judgment. And this guy may have had minutes to live, and he was the first one into heaven. This day you'll be with me in paradise. So you might say the thief picked, picked the lock that got into heaven. Yeah, Mary. I just wanted to say that there are... Louder. Yeah, exactly. You, how much is enough? You know, I mean, you know, the famous illustration of, um, it's coming out of Romans 6, but you have man here and God here, and it says, uh, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So how does a sinful man approach that, overcome that gap between a holy God? And they make this little bridge, good works, good deeds, do this, do that, go to church. But you can't, you can't bridge that chasm. It's too, it's, it's, too, it's too far, you see. So there's no way across. But God, who sends his son, okay, that's the great exchange. It was 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. See that? That's nobody, You would never know if you did enough good deeds. You would never know it. Because it, it's that, that, that's, that's not the issue, doing enough good deeds. That's why somebody says, good people don't go to heaven, okay? 
uh, redeemed people go to heaven, people who are righteous in God's eyes. My good deeds, what does it say? All our, all our good deeds are as filthy rags. They just can't. I mean, if you, if you, if you have the number 1,000 times zero equals what? Zero. zero. Okay? If I'm spiritually dead, I could do good deeds and, and good deeds, you know, I mean, but if, if I'm dead, what, what is, it means nothing. You can decorate a Christmas tree with lights and bulbs and every streamers and whatever they put on it, but it's dead. You just decorated it, and in three weeks, you're going to have to throw it outside. So I could decorate my life with good deeds and good words and, you know, in the community and all this, which is a good thing, but when it comes to relationship with God, it doesn't cut it. Somebody else had their hand up? Yes, please. Just a little louder. Right. Yeah, it, it comes back to the idea of a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, if somebody gave you a gift, a very expensive car, a very expensive ring, because they loved you a lot, and then you sat with them and said, I'd like to work out a payment plan for the next two years, well, you did diminish the gift. It was a gift. It's not wages. It's, it's a gift to you. It's a free gift that you could never, you could never earn it. All you can do is receive it, and then be thankful, in, in a sense, for the balance of your life, live in such a way that you thank God for that gift. Does that make sense? You, you're going to live now in a way that you, you thank God for that gift. You know, it's, it's, it's very powerful when we see this. And so James will say there, um, verse 18, chapter 2 of James, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So here's this idea. James even saying, by faith, I'll show you my faith, I have faith, by my works. You can look at my life, and you can see that I, I have this inner faith in God. I believe in God. My life has changed. My life is being transformed. He says, if you say you have faith, and there's nothing in your life to attest to that faith, you, you could be as, the same as an unbeliever. You know, I have to... This is where it becomes tangible. For example, do you remember when Jesus says to the paralytic they let down through the roof? First thing he says to him is what? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, they couldn't see... Anybody could say that. Your sins are forgiven. You know, because it's an invisible transaction. Your sins are forgiven. That's why they said, you blaspheme. Only God can forgive sins. And he says, okay, pick up your bed and walk. Now that's a visible manifestation of his authority. Not only in the invisible realm to forgive sins, but in the visible realm to heal a crippled who is crippled from birth. You know, see, he kind of is validating that which was unseen with the reality of that which can be seen. You'll see that going on in the Gospels. Does that make sense? It's very similar, we're going to see in a moment, with our own lives. That's why James and even Paul himself says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And if a person says, now this is, this is problematic, I think it was problematic 2,000 years ago, and I think it's problematic today, of easy believism. You said the sinner's prayer. 
You did, you know, I mean, you did, but your life has no, has no indication that you've been changed. It says in Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The profession might be there, okay, but there might be nothing in that person's life to suggest he's been changed, transformed, had an encounter with Christ. And it's not for us to judge it, but if we just, Jesus says, you'll, you'll know them by their fruits, there's nothing there to suggest they're even different than the garden variety unbeliever. Any thoughts on this? I don't want to move too quickly. Yes, please. That your works come. They were they were focusing on the works, and and it was a different faith than mine. And I didn't know how to respond. It almost caused like my faith to be it's the easy way because I have to do it for me, you know. And it wasn't for their. It was very important to do the works with their faith. And I I was curious how you respond to that, but also isn't it isn't it So you're saying this person said what? The works? Right. Any thought on that? I mean, I'll well, open that. works are not a requirement for salvation. Right. What about the thief on the cross? He didn't have time to do good works. Well, yeah, I mean, what we're going to see in a moment, works are extremely important. We're going to look at that. But we shouldn't get the two mixed up. That's where, here, if, if we could do it by works, the cross is not necessary. Right. Because if you study religions, you know, Buddhism, Islam, Confucius, Scientology, I don't care what. They have a prescribed formulation. Uh, in, in, uh, for example, in uh, Islam, you recite the Shahada, there's no God but Muhammad, and Muhammad uh, there's no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Then you follow uh, about five, six precepts, you know, command. Same thing in Buddhism, there's the four noble truths you generally follow them. And you'll be a better person. And I'm not saying they're not moral righteous people in, in, in a man's sort of way. Um, but Christianity is the only religion that has a cross. W what's the deal with that? All these others have what they would call a great teacher or a prophet or a guru, whatever you want. But why do we have a dying, rising savior? He's, Christianity is not about a new moral system, although it is. It's not just a philosophy, although it is. It is about a God comes in the flesh, lives a perfect, prophetic, fulfilling life, and goes to the cross. Not that 
he, he didn't have to go to the cross. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I give it willingly. And dies and then rises from the dead and ascends to heaven. That's a game changer. Because why? He's going to the, literally the heart of the matter. We're, our problem is not we're sinners or we're immoral. That's just the outcome of our inner decay, our inner separation from God. That's why I always say, never be surprised or shocked when a sinner acts like a sinner. Because our nature, we, we didn't need to reform or turn over a new leaf or uh, make a resolution, I won't get drunk or do this and that. No, we need a new life. We need a new life that can only be uh, transacted by our penalty for our sin is, is paid for. Guilt, shame, we're put in right standing through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then through the resurrection, he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to live that newness of life. It's, it's, in a sense, Pastor Mark's right when he says, it's, in a sense, it's not really a religion as such. Yes. Yeah, for sure, and that's kind of what James is saying here. It's a good point, Ed. In other words, we can't judge or make a pronouncement if somebody's a believer or not, if they confess. But you can look at their lives. Is there been a change in life? Is, do they confess Christ? Do they seek to glorify Christ? Have they, have they put off the old man with, with gossip and fornication and lust and anger and bitter? Have they put on the new man? Is there starting to be a manifestation of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Do they have a desire to share Christ with others? Are they more giving? All of these kind of elements, do they seek to be with God's people to worship? All of these kind of indicators. It's like when Molly talked about Ohio State. What was the percentage, she said, of college kids that go off to college? 70%? I think that's pretty true. Is it not really that kind of number that, that grew up in somewhat of a Christian environment, but after college, uh, upwards to 70% have no... Bi manifest visible identified marks of a Christian being part of a church pray on a regular basis into the Word of God a desire to share God uh, desire to be sanctified not that we're ever going to be sinless but we should sin less and less and less and less and less as we are conformed to the image of Christ right if none of those indicators are there it's on them and that's why Paul will say in 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 examine yourself to see if you're in the faith He's, saying, he's writing that to a church at Corinth. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. To your point, Ed, that's, that's what Paul is getting, I mean, James is getting at here, is, is this idea, your lives are not showing uh, this inner faith uh, transformational action that happens. The problem, big problem. Yes, please, Mike. Well, yeah, we'll cover that I, in just a moment because there are works um, that are good, works of righteousness. We're going to see that. We actually get rewarded uh, for works. But there are works that aren't. Uh, uh, they're just us doing things like the law. That doesn't make us righteous, circumcision or keeping kosher or all these things they didn't put on the Gentiles that were coming to Christ. Those are types of works, too. But we're going to look at works that we're called to do and that we're going to be judged on, not for our salvation, but for reward. We'll look on that. I think we have a minute this morning. Okay, so he says here, um, show me your faith. Without your works, I will show you my faith 
with my works. Now, turn for a moment just to, let's go to Titus, um, the letter to Titus, and see how this kind of works out. Titus is grouped all with the T's. Remember 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Okay. So, in 1st Timothy, chapter 1, and verse 16, Titus. I'm sorry, did I say Timothy? I'm sorry. Titus, chapter 1, verse 16, and look what he says here. He's talking about false teachers have come in and there's people that aren't really believers, but he says this in verse 16. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. So he's saying they profess to know God, but in their works, their works deny him. They're going counter. They're, they have the talk, but they don't have the walk. See, So Titus is, really contains a lot of um, kind of interesting things about works. If you look, stay in Titus and look at chapter 2, um, verse 14, if somebody could read that. Titus, chapter 2, verse 14. Do you see this? These, first comes we're redeemed, right? We're redeemed people um, that God has called. He's purifying us, our sanctification. We're his own special people, zealous for what? Good works. You see that process, that, the way it's laid out in that one verse? We're redeemed, we're special people, he's purifying us, and we are therefore to be zealous for good works. Now what might that be? Well, what is it? What's he saying here, in your own words? John, I, I think about compassion. I think about when I realize my real state of things and how hard it is to make changes, I have so much more compassion for other people who find themselves in trouble or suffering, for goodness sake. Or, um, and I, I think responding to that, So you're the, zeal, the the good work would might be what? Identifying good work might be? Relieving suffering, assistance, uh, reaching out with, with comforts and needs, meeting needs. Visiting that person in the hospital. Sending that person an email for encouragement. Letting people know you're praying for them. Uh, taking the time. Often it translates time. It could be monetary or helping them in a special way. But it's the idea, we are now doing this stuff in a sense we are we're a forgiving people because we're a forgiven people. We're a merciful people because God has shown great mercy to us. Uh, we should be a loving people for God so loved us. Who are we that He would redeem and save us? You see, so it's almost a reflexive thing that we do, and we should be looking for opportunities that God puts in our path. Uh, well, That's a good point. 
The idea being that, uh, we'll look at this in a moment in the scripture, but we are a people, we actually, once we come to Christ, and once we're in community, we're learning the word of God, we're, we're seeking guidance by the Holy Spirit to do those things that please God and avoid those things that grieve the Holy Spirit, God will bring individuals and situations into our life, will he not? That we don't have to go out on Saturday morning, knock on doors, and, and then he'll bring people. If we're walking uh, in the spirit, so to speak, situations and people and, and things will come. And, and we should then be responsive to that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look at this, how this plays out. Ephesians, I think if, I think if all we had the letter to the Ephesians, we'd have enough to grow as a Christian faith. But anyhow, uh, it sets out everything so dramatically here, this Ephesians chapter 2. First and foremost, it tells us the way we were in our post-Christ condition. It says, Verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in our trespasses and sins. There it is. It's, our problem is not that we don't do enough good deeds. Our problem is not that we're immoral or we do this. Those are all the fruit of it. But the, our problem is we're dead. As God said to Adam and Eve, the day you partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. We have separated ourselves from God. All have sinned and what comes short. There's the chasm of the glory of God. So we're dead and he goes through this whole kind of an autopsy, you know, you walked according to the course of this world, you were under the power of the prince of the air, you were disobedient, um, you gave into the lust of the flesh, fulfilled the desires of the flesh, by nature children of wrath, but, verse 4, God who was rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, he made us alive, there's the key, together with Christ by grace you have been saved, there's that idea of by grace you're saved. Then he says, um, Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Again, gift. And then he makes it very clear. Verse 9, not of works lest anyone should boast. Again, he, he's so clear here of how, but he doesn't end there. Works are very important. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, he's, he's already kind of laid things out for us as, as we go through life. If, if we're redeemed people and we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God guiding us, we're going to encounter situations or circumstances where God wants us to perform that good work. We might not even think, oh, I'm doing a good work. We might be just uh, emailing a friend who's going through trouble. We might just be visiting somebody in the hospital. We might just be whatever, you know, taking a little bit of extra money out of here would help with the Christmas donation to help the family center. You don't know, you know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a natural way, but there's, there's the, the sequencing there. Any thought on that? There should be no confusion on this. And I'll tell you, you travel in Christian churches, and I've had the opportunity here and overseas, there's a lot that our, our salvation is based on our good deeds. Would you believe it? I'm just saying, it's, it's, this is fundamental stuff, but if you say, if you, remember they have this, who used to go out on the street around Easter and Christmas time with a mega, what radio program was that? I forgot. And they'd say, well, are you a Christian? And the person would say, yeah. And they'd say, why are you a Christian? Well, I go to church. Why are you a Christian? Well, um, I donated money to the relief fund. Why are you a Christian? They point at something they did. 
Do you understand? It's something they did. Being a Christian is not something we've done. It's something that's been done for us. Does that make sense? We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And when that gets flipped, you, it's really problematic. Any thoughts? Yes, Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, let your light shine before men that they might see your good and glorify you, God. See? So... Yeah, well, small is big, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. I mean, you know, big doors swing on small hinges. Uh, you, you, can, you can create a forest with one acorn over time, but you can burn the one down with one matchstick. What I'm getting at is it's small deeds done uh, anonymously that touch people's lives for eternity. Uh, you know, we, uh, good friends of Marie and I, and Cheryl too, in northern Thailand, this woman and her husband, I mean, these were missionaries from Canada. They were working on the refugee camp on the post-Vietnam on the uh, Cambodian-Thai border. And uh, she moved to Chiang Mai, and she had a burden for these little babies that were being abandoned in the hospital because they had HIV, AIDS, you know, because of the trafficking dump. And they would just leave them. And they make them, like, comfortable. And she says, can I take this one home? It was very difficult for a foreigner to do that, but they did. That was, she was doing a good deed, okay? It was really touched her heart. Today, this is 20 years later, Marie? 30, I don't know. Today, she's got an incredible orphanage and, and a clinic and a school thing. They started small, okay? But unbelievers come out there to see what she's doing. They see her good works, but it glorifies God because she says, this is how it started, this is how it happened, but it was all because God put it on my heart, and then God provided millions, I mean seriously, like millions of dollars. But it started out just her doing a good, it was a little baby, I think they named the orphanage, didn't they, after the little girl, uh, what was her name, I forget. But that, that was how it started, one little deed. Yes, Fred. Tom, along with the gospel 
Yeah, I think it's a good point, Brett. Somebody's well suggested that first you've got to preach the bad news, then you've got to preach the good news. I mean, that's kind of what Paul's doing in Ephesians 2. You're dead. I mean, this is not a popular message. You're dead. You, you are, you know, really, really? But that's not, the same way with uh, uh, Amazing Grace. What was I watching? Phil Donahue years ago. But he says, why he saved a wretch like me? Am I a, you know, he, he says, why use that language? Well, in God's eyes, we were wretched with God's eyes we were in opposition we were alien we were enemies you know but in his rich mercy amazing grace he saved us I mean the man that wrote that song John Newton was a slave trader but he repented it's it's a unified action Fred actually is is to turn to God uh, to to saving grace is to turn our back on self and the works of darkness and and my self-will and to turn like in the in the military when you do an about face you're, you're turning your back on that, you're moving that forward. And I would agree with you. Some have suggested why counseling is so big in the Christian churches today is because of incomplete repentance at the point of the new birth experience. And so we're dealing with a lot of luggage that in the old days, they would hammer on, are, do, you, do you renounce all works of darkness? Do you, are you gonna quit doing this? Are you gonna, you know, boom, 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 boom. And, and are you gonna come in now to the, the church was just for believers. I mean, that was what it was. It was, it was a sacred congregation who had communion together and worshiped God together and shared necessities. And then they would go out into the wider community and, and share the gospel through word and through deed. But uh, yeah, I think you're, it's a good point, Fred. Somebody else on that about the repentance issue? Uh, yes, Mike. Pardon me? Yeah, well, in a sense, you're, it's, it's not a, uh, okay, let's, let's put it this way. It, oftentimes you'll see in the Bible it says, um, believe and be baptized. I think that's what uh, Philip says to the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he comes and he says, I believe. He says, all right, you can believe. In a sense, to be baptized is a work that is, follows on your newfound faith in Christ. You know, baptism is a type of, you're going down death, buried with Christ, risen in newness of life, and in that burial, your old self. Not that you're going to be completely free from ever sinning again. The Bible doesn't indicate that. But there's that idea. I, he, he died for me. The least I can do is turn my back on my willful, sinful life here. Does that make sense? So, so in a sense, you receive that. And in a lot of ways, baptism is like that next step of, of work, if you will. It's not a work for salvation. But it's a work because you receive salvation. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Going forward. Yeah. John, isn't repentance a lifelong? Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, some things are just, you know, because we're a sin nature, we just want to hang on to them. Yeah, I mean, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore lay, lay aside every weight of sin that so easily besets us. You know, we, we, it'll also say in 1 John 1 9, if we say, that we do not sin, we lie. John is including himself in that verse. If we, he's a very holy man at that, I would think at that point in his life, right before he gets the revelation. If we say that we have no sin, 
we lie and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So in a sense, you're right. Our life is a continual process of drawing near to God, but in the process, he exposes uh, maybe not so obvious of sin like we had back when we first got saved. Maybe it's a more subtle pride, spiritual pride. God, yes, Republican. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it, Spurgeon or one of these great minds that said the way down is the way up. The more I see, the more I see myself clearly. I, I might look tidy on the outside, but I have an inner light. And it's not a small matter. It's not like a little extra credit project my, that Jesus is doing for me so I can get an A. Get an a. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you study Old Testament, New Testament, men of God, holy men of God, Isaiah, John, etc., when they have an encounter with God, what do they do? Huh? I like the King James where Daniel says, my knees oh, shook, I forget how he says it. But they're undone physically. They're, they're in the presence of God, and they're mindful of their own un unworthiness. And, they, you know... It, it, the closer you come to God, the closer, like Moses, is approaching the burning bush. The more you are aware of sin and impurity, which is a good thing, because that conviction, as the psalmist says, search me, O Lord, see if there's any unclean thing in my heart, it causes us to respond to that and to want to be more Christ-like, to, to, to eliminate the, that thing that God is pointing. Conviction is actually a very healthy sign in the Christian life because it's the Holy Spirit pointing at areas in our inner life Whereas you say, Kim, our outward life might look great to people, but there's inner things that God wants to do surgery on us with the Holy Spirit. And conviction, the problem is when you don't feel convicted. That's problematic. Yes, yeah, somebody else. Doesn't the word also, uh, it speaks to us and it shows us how sinful we Yeah, James refers to it as a mirror. When you look at the mirror, the God's word, he, he, one of the first signs of backsliding is the person is no, interest, no longer interested in the word of God. He shows a disinterest in the word of God. Second, he detaches himself from the community of believers. Prayer life is diminished. Uh, sin is, rel is not as offensive as it once was. Though there are indicators. doesn't mean the person is not a believer, but there are indicators of a backsliding going on. Okay, so back to James. He says, um, verse 19 of chapter 2, You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. <clears throat> Interesting. You know, um, you watch talk shows, you know, uh, Larry King, Oprah, all these. They'll make reference to God. They'll make reference to the Lord. What does it mean, though? What, am I right? You're here in this conversation. Even the demons believe that. we got to be better than the demons. <laughs> these, they know there's a God. They tremble. They know there's a judgment. They understand who Jesus is. That's why they'll cry out in Mark chapter 2. Uh, what are we to do with thee, thy, son, thy, uh, thy, uh, thy holy one of Israel? You know, they know who he is. That's not enough just to know there's a God. He says, 
but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now here's again, what is the expression of our inward faith? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Now he's going to bring up two people in the Old Testament. One is going to be Abraham, the other is going to be Rahab. And again, who's he writing this letter to? Jews. So they're going to be familiar with this. And he's going to say, when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar. Do you see that faith, first comes faith, was working together with his works. Do you see that? First comes faith. You know, it'll say clearly, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You understand? There he's made righteous with God. He's justified. That's repeated four times. In the old, it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's in Romans. It's that idea that by faith we're saved. So he says, but it's, re, it's the outworking of that faith in right standing with God was he was willing to obey God to offer up his son Isaac. Does that make sense? That inward faith, even James says faith, and then he was willing to offer up Isaac, Genesis chapter 2. That was an expression, an outward expression of his inward faith in trusting in God. He was basically saying at that moment, okay, he says, take your son whom you love and go offer him up. And, and Abraham is going to do it. But it says in Hebrews 11, he knew, you take him, you're going to bring him back. Because you promised me, that's the promised seed, that's the promised child. So he was operating on that faith, but it was being expressed in an extremely difficult testing moment. Does that make, you know, it, it's interesting that he'll use Abraham and Rahab. Abraham is a righteous man, he's declared that, in the, you know, he's, he's, it's, she is not, she's a harlot. You have a man here, woman here, Jew here, Gentile here, but both of them have faith, and it's going to be expressed in an outward action. He's going to offer up his son Isaac, and she's going to tie the red thread on the window so the two spies can escape back to the Jewish community. You see, uh, one's a friend of God, the other is a Gentile at that point, was an enemy. You know, they were going to destroy that city. So it's interesting how James develops parallel and contrast. And so he says here, um, do you see that faith was working together with his works? By works, faith was made perfect. Some will say complete. Does somebody? It kind of goes like this. Uh, it's two sides of the same coin, in a sense. Uh, because just like if, if you have a candle that's lit here, and I says, is that candle giving off light or is it giving off heat? Well, it's both, in a sense. You know, and so, so it was very natural that his faith would be expressed in works. It just... You know, it's going to be, you can't reverse that, you know. He says, um, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. That's critical. Uh, I mean, you can never lose that because if we as Christians lose that message, uh, we become a, a club, um, uh, like the Rotary Club. We do good deeds. You know, we do good stuff, community projects or whatever. Those are good things. But that's not what salvation's about. Do you understand? This is very important. He says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. In other words, he's expressing his faith by doing this thing. Likewise, he says, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them out the other way? Now, if we were to get back into that, she knew what, is, what the God of Israel had done up to that point. She, she had a 
limited, but she had a faith in God, the God of the, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She, she got it. And that, that way she says, look, save me and my family. I'm going to put this threat. I'm going to tell the people you went that way and you went the other way kind of a thing. So even in a little bit of faith, she's expressing something. So much so that she'll be noted in the New Testament. I mean, her faith will be noted. Um, uh, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If we have faith, it has to, it has to be indicated by some transformation. Yes? I mean, it's just, it just what it is, and James makes a big deal out of this, because uh, there was people back then, they probably just thought, if I just say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ or this, everything is okay, and their general lifestyle hadn't changed, let alone where they, they weren't zealous of good works or mercy or any of the things that go along with a godly life. Any thought on this? I mean, just take a minute, in a closing minute, to look at what good works really are about. Now, we know that as Christians, we are going to face what's known in the Scripture as the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne judgment you see at the end of the book of Revelation. This is a judgment. We're going to be judged at this for what? Our works. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a moment. Um, 2 Corinthians... Let me get there. Second Corinthians chapter five. He's, it's a motive. It's actually a motivation here. Um, look at verse 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse nine and ten. Therefore, we, that's believers, make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. This is our goal: is to do that which pleases God. For we believers must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes it's called the Bema seat. It's where the runners would go and there'd be a platform and they would receive the laurel, the crown, you see the victor, the second place, third place. That each one may receive the things done in the body, that's our physical life, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and also trust are well known to our conscience. We do not commend ourselves again to you, but the idea being here, he's saying, because we're going to be judged, because what we've done in this lifetime after we become believers, there's rewards for that. That's why Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will what? You will in no wise lose your reward. He says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where rust and moth and a thief doesn't break in. We have time, whatever our span of time on this planet is, is to lay up <coughs> treasures in heaven. It has nothing to do, it doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. That's secured through the cross. But what we do here, faithful service, has reward in heaven. Any thought on this? this is, we'll look at this a little bit more deeply in a second. Does that make sense? Yes, no? <laughs> I don't want to jump up. Okay, look, okay, let's turn. Uh, Look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3. Uh, and maybe somebody could read um, verse 10. 10 through 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 12. Uh, verse nine, look, start with verse 9 through 12. Thank you. I'm sorry. 
Okay, do you want to, you see how he's expanding on this? In other words, again, this is believers. He's saying, verse 9, you are God's fellow workers, you're God's field, you're his building, all of these things. Each one of us is given a measure of grace. This is not for unbelievers. And therefore, we're, we're to be mindful of what we're doing on this earth as a Christian, our Christian life, the expression of our Christian life, because there's reward. Now, he says, um, this will be tested declare it uh, each one will be revealed uh, but you you cannot build uh, he says now if anyone uh, builds on the foundation with gold silver precious stone wood hay straw these are two different things here um, wood hay and straw are things that were once alive but now dead right wood you see wood out in the backyard you see straw if you cut down the grass uh, and um, and hay it was once grass out in the field, but now it's stacked up. It's just hay. So that'll be consumed. So if we do things out of the wrong motivation, we don't do things, you know, we, we don't maximize our time here, time, talent, treasure, whatever, for the glory of God. That could be done in the context of a regular life. Don't get me wrong. But we're not mindful of what we're doing here, that we're laying up treasure in heaven. Okay, but what is the thing with gold, silver, and precious stone as opposed to those other things? Gold, silver, precious stone all reflect light, do they not? Gold, silver, precious stone are, it requires some, all this other stuff is in a way cheap, you know, wood, hay, stubble, whatever. But these are precious things that you seek after. So we, we must seek after what it is God has called each one of us to do in terms of living a godly life, in terms of doing the good works God's called us to. And we will receive reward. Again, this is for believers. That's why he says, you are still saved. Howbeit, uh, we could suffer loss of reward. Our admonition, scripturally, is to use our time. You know where it says in Psalm 90, teach me to number my days, O Lord, that I might apply my heart to wisdom. Help me to, to maximize my days to, to glorify you. And I believe God is, is giving each one of us opportunity to do these good works, good deeds in our everyday life. Any thought on this? I'll start wrapping it up in a second. Yes, Ed. Yeah, it's an overflow, but it's an intentional overflow. That's why Jesus will say, lay up for yourself. In other words, be mindful of this, that you have opportunities like that to lay up for yourself treasure. Now, the motive, I agree, if you do it to be seen of men, 
like Jesus said to the Pharisees, they want to pray in the public place. Well, they received their reward already. He says, if you, if you fast, anoint your face, wash, go about, don't tell everybody you're fasting, because otherwise they might say, look, he, he's, he did three-day fasting. Look at this, how great he is. You know, just do it under the Lord to that point. Uh, but to be mindful that we have opportunity here to lay up church. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when we receive them, we'll bow down before the Lord and ask them to receive Right. Which is to turn them right back. But what do crowds represent? Authority. What does Jesus say? If you've been faithful a little here, I'll make you 